So you can turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, the portion that was read for us uh, from verse 8 through to verse 15. Romans 1, 8 through 15. <clears throat> now we started this series uh, in this letter uh, last week looking at four things about the gospel of Christ. I think I've got a lot of echo. Just maybe too much reverb or whatever. Are you able to hear me at the back? Yeah? So we looked at four things concerning the gospel of Christ and we, you know, we, we, we spent that, you know, that first section talking about how you know, Paul was set apart for the gospel. It's a gospel promised beforehand. It's the gospel concerning his son. It's the gospel that is imparted uh, through the ministry of the apostles. And the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, listen to this carefully, was the driving force in Paul's life. The good news of the Lord Jesus Christ was the driving force in Paul's life. Now the gospel story is simply this, that God sent his son Jesus into the world to save us. The Lord Jesus willingly left his glory, took on our humanity. He went to the cross to pay a debt that we owed for our sin before he rose again on the third day. Now you have to ask the question, why did God do this? Why? What was the motivation in God's heart to come and reconcile and save rebellious, wretched sinners like us? And the Bible speaks of us in that way before we were in Christ. And he, uh, 1 John, you know, John the Apostle reflecting on this in 1 John 4, 9 and 10, uh, he says this. He says, in this, the love of God was manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And so love becomes the motivation in the heart of God to set about this mission of salvation and reconciliation. This is the love of God that uh, drives this forward. And so I think Paul, you know, understood this deeply which is why he lived his life in the same way with a great and a godly concern for people and I want us to be thinking about that this morning you know Paul's own life was transformed so that he lived with a passionate concern for other people for other people not for himself in fact at great cost to himself he lived in the cause of the good and the uh, for the good and the growth of other people you know I'm reminded of a of a movie uh, called Schindler's List I don't know if you've seen it it's a pretty uh, serious movie and, and I wouldn't recommend it to everybody but it's got a tremendous story a true story of uh, what happened during the Second World War and how you know more than a thousand Jews were saved from the Nazis it's a story of a of a man whose name was Oskar Schindler a German who was quite a prosperous man he was a businessman he was well connected politically and so this man somehow has a change of heart and he decides that he's going to put his influence and his money towards the cause of saving as many Jews as he can as many Jewish people as he could and so he ends up by the end of it saving about 1200 Jewish people a true story and if you see at the end of the film the, the people who he actually saved old now walk past his, his grave, you know, giving sort of a, a thanks and a, and a tribute to what he did to save them. But what is 
striking in that film as you come to the end of it is that Oscar Schindler is there, the war has come to a close, he knows, the people know that they're going to be, you know, finally out of the clutches of the Nazis, finally. And here's this man on his knees and he's weeping bitterly and he takes out his gold ring and he says, you know, I could have saved one more person with this. One more person I could have saved with this. And I think that's a very striking story because of, of this man who at great risk even, he could have been you know, arrested and, and put in jail and even killed because of what he was doing. At great risk, he is so passionate and so dedicated to saving people. Now, I don't know what happened in his life. Something must have happened in his life that caused him to be that way, that caused him to, to do what he did. But that strong and passionate concern for other people comes out through this story. So I want to ask us the question this morning. What does Christian concern look like? What does Christian concern look like? True Christian concern. I sent you the, the image, right? It's, and I titled it True Christian Concern. And I say true Christian concern because there is a false and a fake kind of Christian going around these days. Quite a lot of them actually. Those who call themselves Christians but care very little for the people around them. And I'm not talking about caring for your family. I'm not talking about that. Indians are good at doing that. And I think part of the reason why we care so much of our family is because there's so much of pride wrapped up in the reputation of our family. We want our children to be successful. We want to, we want to have a certain image in society. And so we care for our families. And somehow, maybe we even pass that off as an excuse for being very caring. But true Christian concern extends beyond your biological family or even your extended family to your church family and to the community at large. It cannot stop with you just taking care of your own. You can't do that. True Christian concern extends beyond your family to the church and the larger community around you. And what I love about this section that Gospel read for us is that is Paul's real concern and love for people, listen to this, for people he's never even met. He's met a few of the Romans when he was at Corinth. I told you about this last week. But most of them, he's never even met them. And it's a section, if you read through it, and I, as I was studying it, you know, I was highlighting different parts. And it was striking how many times he uses the pronouns I and you. I think it's more than a dozen times each. I and you. It's the only part in the letter that he does it like this. Maybe Romans 16, he does that as well. And what you get out of that is Paul's real passion for the relationship that he has with this, these believers even from a distance and it's a Christian relationship it's not really more than that he's never met a bunch of them but it's a Christian relationship and it's fascinating that Paul was once someone if you remember this from Acts chapter 8 chapter 9 who was a mob leader we're quite familiar with this in our country nowadays right he was a mob leader and he was someone who had people arrested, thrown in jail, and he had people killed as well. And this same Paul, this same Paul was a completely transformed person now because of the love of God in Christ Jesus. Look at his life, how different it is now. Even at great risk and cost, he's all out 
to help and to serve other people. So this morning as we look at Paul's example, my hope is that it would stir up our own hearts in a very serious way. I want you to think about this seriously. Don't let this just be another sermon, but seriously think about this. That it would stir up our own hearts to real love for other people. That a Christ-like love would govern our hearts and even be born in our hearts if it never was there before. And other people is all people. It doesn't matter. You and I are called to love. And so here's four uh, takeaways. If you're taking notes, you can note these down. Four takeaways from Paul's example of Christ-like, gospel-saturated love. Number one, celebrate one another's faith. Number two, care for one another through fellowship. I'll come back to them, don't worry. Number three, encourage one another through the word. And number four, engage with those who don't know Christ. That's true Christian love. So let's take a look at each one of them. And I think it'll make sense as we look through the text as well that it's coming out of the scriptures. Firstly, firstly, true Christian concern is in how we celebrate one another's faith. True Christian concern is manifest, it's, it's evidence in the way we celebrate each other's faith. Look at what Paul says in verse 8 over here. He says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Nice, isn't it? I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Now, we don't know if Paul meant that there was something special about their faith. Maybe there were stories of great courage and endurance as they lived in Rome, the center of the Roman Empire, maybe facing persecution. But we actually don't get a hint of that through the letter to the Romans. Unlike Peter's letter, where he writes to the church in 1 Peter, he says, you're going through fiery trials. He doesn't really talk about that in Romans. What I think it was, is that these were Christians in the greatest city in the world the capital city of the empire. These were Christians in that city. And so it was quite natural for the church in the rest of the empire to be interested in what was going on in the capital city, especially with the believers over there. It was quite natural to do that. How are they as believers surviving in the Roman empire, in the capital city? And it must have been something that ignited believers all over the place to hear information that there was a church in Rome in the backyard of the emperor, of the Caesar. And it was surviving and it was thriving. And that must have been something that churches spoke about. In fact, in verse 12, Paul even expects, he says, when I come to you, you know, I want to encourage you. And hey, we'll be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I know you're going to encourage me. I know it. I'm certain about it. I'm looking forward to that. Now what's striking about this as I was thinking about it is what is the reputation that we as Christians in the capital city of our country what kind of a reputation do we have as followers of Christ that influences and affects the rest of the country? What do we have? And I think I'm, a, I'm ashamed to, to even think about it because I feel like there are Christians 
in smaller towns and cities who are really living out the Christian faith at great cost to themselves. You and I, we are blinded by materialism and career and money and our houses and our cars. We have no time for the things of God. What example are we in the capital city of our country setting for the rest of our country? Striking, isn't it? When you think about it. Is our faith proclaimed across the country? Are we standing up for Christians? Are we praying for believers across the country in ways that they feel encouraged and supported and built up? God has put us here for that purpose, my brothers and sisters, in this place. Not so that we can have more prosperous lives than Christians in smaller towns and villages. No! So that we might live out the gospel of Christ in ways that impact the community and encourage believers all across this nation. Now, whatever it is that Paul was commending them for their faith, I like that he celebrates it. He celebrates it. He gives thank to, thanks to God through Christ for all of them because of their faith. And I want you to notice he's not celebrating their success their position, their power, their money, the, the qualifications of their children and the things that they have bought. He's not celebrating those things. He's celebrating their faith. My goodness, what a thing it is. He's celebrating their faith. And to be honest, I, I think it's a rare thing that we celebrate each other's faith. I think sometimes if we, if we talk, two Christian people look at us and say, oh, you're too spiritual. You're being overly Christian. You know, that sort of a thing. But you and I are called to celebrate the spiritual progress that we make, that we see in the lives of brothers and sisters around us. You know, I've noticed that Christian, Christians, Christian parents make a big deal of when their kids are baptized or take their first communion. But little else in the Christian life. Little else. So the baptism and the communion are oh my big occasion. But then Sundays are sacrificed for exams and sports and other things. And sometimes just sheer laziness. You don't feel like getting up, it's okay, you stay home. You've had a hard week at school. Or we make that excuse for ourselves as well. Because we don't celebrate faith. It's not a thing to be celebrated. It's not a thing to be encouraged and nurtured and pursued. It's one of those things that are on the side, on the back burner, if you like. If anything, let's as a community learn to celebrate one another's faith. Whether in our families or in the church family. Not to spend time criticizing each other. But to build each other up in the faith. You know, over time... Very little progress is made with constant criticism and fault-finding. That happens in the church a lot. Whether verbal or in the heart, we criticize each other. Very little progress is made over time with constant criticism and fault-finding. If you really want someone to grow, encourage and exhort them. That's true in general. And it is true in the Christian life at all. And I say this, you know, it's a, it's a knife in my own heart, I tell you. I can be a very, very critical, hard person. Ask my family, you know. And I, and I know that it, it, it only brings them down. It doesn't help them grow. And I've got to keep reminding myself, Chandran, be encouraging. 
look lovingly say a word that builds up not a word that criticizes and if only we would do this with one another's faith also encourage in the faith secondly true christian concern is found in how we care for one another through fellowship you got that how we care for one another through fellowship a, funda a fundamental way in which we care for one another through our fellowship to DBF Dwarka, we have a 4G mission. I don't know if you remember this. It's on the bookmarks. It's on the it's on the standy outside. It's a 4G mission. 4G. You now we're we're very up to date, but I think 5G is coming now. We've got to add one more G, right? Uh, but the 4G mission to gather, to grow, to give, to go. Easy. To gather, to grow, to give, to go. And so the first one is to gather primarily on Sunday mornings and also in life groups these are opportunities for us to gather to gather with one another and i want you to notice paul's tone in verses 9 to 11 11 of chapter 1 look at listen to his tone over here as i read these verses he says for god is my witness wow god is his witness whom i serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son that without ceasing without ceasing i mention you always in my prayers asking that somehow by god's will i may now at last succeed in coming to you for i long to see you that i may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you i want you to notice the tone over there it's a real sense of longing and desire that he prays without ceasing continually so that he might have opportunity to go to this church in rome and he even calls God as a witness to it. He says, you check with God how much I want to come to you. Interesting, isn't it? And then in verse 13, he says, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented. I've often intended to come to you. Again, you see the, the desire, the intent, the passion to get to them, but have thus far been prevented. Now, I was thinking about this and I said, let me, let me dig in a little bit and see what does he mean? Why was he prevented? And in fact, he actually talks about this in Romans chapter 15. You can read it in verse 20 because he says in that context, he says, my mission, my ambition was to preach Christ where he has never been preached. I, I, that's my goal in life, to go to places that are unreached with the gospel. That's my ambition in life. He writes about that in Romans 15, 20. And because of this ambition, he says, he knows that God has kept him from going to Rome because the gospel had already been proclaimed in Rome. The church already existed in Rome and in fact it was thriving. And so God prevented him from going to Rome because he had all these other unreached places to go to. Interesting. So then you have to ask the question, why then such a strong desire to go to Rome? If your ambition is this, why such a strong desire to go to Rome? Well, because there's nothing like Christian fellowship. You want to say amen to that? Oh, it's so half-hearted. Come on, guys. There's nothing like Christian fellowship, right? Nothing like it. That's why he wanted to go to Rome. Because he just desired to be with these believers in that place. 
as much as he wanted to take the gospel to unreached places and he was it was his ambition to do that he longed for fellowship with other believers in fact in verse 32 of Romans 15 verse 32 he says so that by God's will I may now come I may come to you with joy and be refreshed by your company nice isn't it I want to be refreshed by your company that's why I want to come and in fact his plan even in, in the end of that he says my plan is to spend a little bit of time with you because I got to go to Spain Spain is unreached but I want to be refreshed with you as believers there's nothing like Christian fellowship true Christianity is marked by fellowship you know when we fail to gather listen to this carefully when we fail to gather habitually let me throw that word in over there it communicates our disinterest to others and it communicates that others in the church are unimportant to us it's not possible that you have an excuse every Sunday regularly or for life group regularly it's not possible because we make time for everything else and so be honest it's unimportant to you you're disinterested and it doesn't matter to you at least be honest about it and I fear that our church look at the seats around you I fear that our church is going through this at this moment where Sundays are just optional if I'm feeling a little bit extra tired or lazy you know what let me just sleep in that never happens Monday to Friday because your money is tied to it isn't it but Sundays I'm doing God a favor by going my goodness I know I'm being tough over here but look at around look at the seats around you it's optional for us and it communicates disinterest it communicates that the body of Christ is unimportant I do not have time for you that's what it communicates this is the body of Christ You're, you might as well say this to Christ himself I don't have time for you Jesus because I don't love your body you might as well say that and so we have convenient reasons to not come to church or to not connect through life groups whatever excuses one has when it's a habitual thing it says a lot about your care for the body of Christ true Christian care and concern is found in our desire and longing for fellowship with one another and sometimes when desire is lacking hey that happens then our commitment gets us there and the desire and the enjoyment follows but the commitment the covenant that we make to the body of Christ gets us there for fellowship how are you fulfilling our mission to gather DBF Dwarka our mission is to gather number one mission forget about three four and you know two three and four number one is to gather start being faithful to that and so two things so far we looked at you know true Christian fellowship is found in how we celebrate one another's faith and how we care for each other through fellowship let's look at the third one true Christian concern is in how we encourage one another through the word how we encourage each other through the word 
you know Paul is very clear uh, that part of the reason he wants to visit them is so that he can encourage them in their faith look at verse 11 and 12 here's what he says he says for I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you that is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith both yours and mine I want to be there to encourage you in your faith and he says over here interesting he says I'm looking to impart to you some spiritual gift some spiritual gift what does he mean by that well first of all notice that it's a spiritual gift not a material gift that's important to notice it's a spiritual gift so it has to do with the spiritual life secondly notice it's a gift to strengthen them to exhort them to encourage them right and, and I'm just picking it up you know as I look through the the verses and the context of the passage thirdly it has to do something with their faith because he says that, that we would encourage each other's faith right and then in verse 13 we read that of his desire to reap some harvest among them I want to reap some harvest among you and then in verse 15 just drop down with me to verse 15 he sort of concludes all that he's saying about this this reason for him going to them is so I am eager to do what to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome and he's writing to believers over here which helps us understand and conclude that he's talking about the word of God really at the center of all of it and so the spiritual gift that he wants to impart is the teaching and the ministry of the word of God that would bless the people of God it's a spiritual blessing that he wants to give unto them you know, you know there's, there's many ways we can spiritually bless one another we can pray for each other we can visit we can care for each other we can serve we can fellowship these are ways in which we spiritually bless and nurture one another but the word of God is at the heart of it it's at the heart of it you know Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5 he says you know be filled with the spirit by singing psalms hymns and spiritual songs to one another where we come together and the word of God permeates our conversation and our words as we speak the scriptures into each other's life when we encourage one another with God's word it's so good and this is not an ordinary word this is the word of life the word of God the word that makes us feel secure the word that reveals God's love and God's purpose for our lives Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is living and active sharper than a double-edged sword powerful Psalm 119.105 says your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path how good would it be it would be if our conversations with one another were led and directed by God's word isn't it if we could take it upon ourselves to spur one another on through scripture and so you must read the word you must know the word to be able to do that but it'd be so good if we can do that and I'm not saying that you have to keep walking around saying praise the Lord bless you hallelujah you know those Christian lingos that we throw around that make us feel a little bit spiritual compared to other people no 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 be normal be normal in that sense 
but speak of Christ. How little our conversations, even after a Sunday service, are about Christ. We get back to the back, how's the tea? It's a little bit sweet today. I don't drink sweet tea. You know what? I've got diabetes and I struggle with this. And boom, you're off on a different conversation. Which doctor you're seeing, which hospital you're going to, how much it costs you, and that's about it. Fine, talk about those things. But let Christ and his word permeate your conversations and begin to direct the things that we say to one another. Let there be substance in the way we as Christians speak to each other to each other substance in the way we speak to each other and so Paul is eager to get to Rome so that he can preach the gospel to them and I ask you are you eager to speak God's word into one another's life to remind each other of the promises of God to remind one another of the grace and the forgiveness of God in the gospel of Christ to 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 urge one another on to exhort one another on through the scriptures are we eager to do that? True Christian concern is found in how we encourage one another through the word. And finally, fourthly and finally for this morning, true Christian concern is found in how we engage with those who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. True, true Christian concern is found in how we engage with those who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Paul talks about how he often intended to come to Rome. And he says in verse 13, in order to reap some harvest among you, that's the church, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. Now, when he speaks of the Gentiles, he's usually referring to those who are of the world, those who are not in Christ. He's usually referring to them when he uses the word Gentiles in his letters. In verse 14, he confirms this when he says that his calling and ministry, look at what he says in verse 14. He says, I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Simply put, Paul is, is, is concerned about the nations the Greeks, the barbarians, the wise and the foolish, all people, he's concerned about, about them. And in Paul's case, he was specifically commissioned as an apostle to the Gentiles. You can read about this in Acts chapter 9. Jesus says to him, you're going to be my chosen instrument among the Gentiles. Right? Now I want you to notice over here an important word in verse 14. He says, I am under obligation. Obligation. And so I looked up that word and that word is also translated a debtor or maybe some of your translations use that word debtor or indebted. I am indebted. Paul saw himself as indebted to take the gospel to the Greeks and the barbarians and the wise and the foolish. Now you have to ask the question, who is he indebted to? Who is he indebted to? To the peoples? No. He's indebted to God. He's indebted to God. He's under an obligation to God himself. And I love the way he understands his salvation. In 1 Corinthians 9.16, he says, For if I preach the gospel, 
that gives me no ground for boasting. There's no ground for boasting if I preach the gospel. It's a privilege to preach the gospel. And then he says, for necessity, obligation is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. It's nothing to boast about. It's a privilege, man. It's a joy. It's an obligation to preach the gospel. It's a necessity, not under some unholy obligation as if he's, a, he's imprisoned to something he doesn't want to do. It's a holy obligation to proclaim the gospel of Christ. That's such an important word. Indebted. Obligation. You see... We tend to live the Christian life. Listen to this carefully. We tend to live the Christian life as if we're making sacrifices for God. As if we're making sacrifices for God. And then if we should ever share the gospel with anybody else, oh my goodness, God should give me a holiday for that. Because I shared the gospel with somebody else. And so we see attending church services and giving an offering and attending a life group, caring for one another, serving and all of these things as a means to put God in our debt. I came to church today, God. Are you happy with that? I hope my week goes well now. And I know I can be tempted to do that as well. It's a battle I fight in my own heart as a pastor, you know, I'm a pastor of a church, fully dedicated to God. I mean, he should be, you know, paying me back big time, more than all of you also. I should feel that, right? And, and I tell you, it's a battle that I, I can serve and I can be grumbling about my ministry as if, you know, it should go in a certain way. No, no, no. You and I, we are servants in the kingdom of God. We belong to him. If anything, we are under a holy obligation. We've got to live our lives indebted. And our service is out of a debt to God. Not to somehow wring God's arm to be in our favor. He's in your favor already. Look at the cross of Christ. And you should be able to say, you should be able to say, if God gave me nothing else but the cross of Christ, that's enough for me. You should be able to say that. If you cannot say that, then it means, it means that God is a means to an end. That you are merely using him for your own ends. If only we could see our Christian concern as a holy obligation and necessity because of all that God has done for us. It would change the way we serve. I suspect that we think that God owes us because we really haven't understood the gospel of Christ. We really haven't understood it. We haven't fully grasped the magnitude of our sin and what it costs God to save us. Have you ever done a favor for someone? Big favor? They feel indebted to you, don't they? And they feel like they want to give back to you. And it's a very Indian thing to do that also. It's a great thing, wonderful. But when it comes to God, we don't understand the magnitude of the favor He's done for us. If only we grasp that, it would transform the way we live our lives. 
no longer would service to God be something that we use and we expect God to be thankful to us for but it would be a genuine and holy obligation on us to serve Christ for now in the context of this we too as Christians are obligated to make disciples of all nations and you can do that by speaking to your friends just last week in our life group on Thursday night with the young adults we had a wonderful testimony of how someone shared the gospel with someone else just over a conversation so encouraging and it wasn't a planned thing it just it happened and they felt a holy obligation from God to speak into that person's life if that was a regular thing in our lives my goodness what examples the Delhi Christians will be setting for the rest of the country what a reputation we would have of our faith and so you can do that by sharing the gospel with people you can pray regularly for the increase in the spread of the gospel put the names of people down that you're praying for and pray earnestly for them that is true Christian concern that we would remove our blinders and really see and feel the need for the world to hear the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ let's close over here true Christian concern is found in how we celebrate one another's faith in how we care for one another through fellowship right DBF Dwarka mission to gather number one do that and how we encourage each other through the word of Christ and how we meaningfully engage with those who don't know Jesus may God stir our hearts and spur us on to live faithfully before him let me give you a moment just to be to quietly allow these words to permeate your heart and your mind and for you to quietly make a prayer of commitment maybe of confession but also of commitment to go forth from here and be wholeheartedly dedicated to these things as a true follower of Christ Paul did it because Jesus did it we do it because Jesus did it for us